Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. We're the podcast for parents with young children, and we know that life with kids is messy, but we're here to celebrate those messes, from spilled milk to emotions spilling out of little volcanoes. And you know what? We really believe in you. You got this, and you're not alone. I just want you to know a little something about your host. Karen Deerwester is an educator, author, and all-in cheerleader for kids being kids. Karen has been a corporate spokesperson as well as a reasonable and reliable voice for kids and parents in print and on TV, on NBC, MSNBC, NPR, Parents Magazine, and many more. Best of all, Karen leads the parent-child classes right here at Benetara Congregation of Boca Raton, Florida. Get ready for some fun, a ton of encouragement, and maybe a little inspiration. Today's podcast is called, When Your Child is the One That's Different. When Lane mentioned this topic, she hesitated, thinking who wants to admit this one? We quickly realized the pride that comes with raising out-of-the-box children. That's not to say it's an easy task. Being different does mean going against the flow standing out when others do not understand, or when others want you to conform, or just be the right kind of different. I'm proud to sit at the square table tonight with three parents who know the challenges and know how to stand with their children through sometimes unfair judgments. Their children range from a one-year-old to a grown daughter. I want this to be a celebration of raising children who are unique and different, and also how being different can feel lonely and scary. Let me introduce my three uniquely bold and original parents, Lane Bilo, Alexis Geller, and Janet Jordan. Lane, will you get us started? Sure. So, gosh, we are an out-of-the-box family. Um, I have three children, and I had three children in four years, so that automatically makes us a little out-of-the-box. Um, my oldest son... Uh, was just always a little different. And uh, he was the type of kid who would walk into a room and everybody was playing together and he would walk off to the side and play by himself. Or he would see a friend who he just loved and he would walk up to them and hug them so tightly that they would fall over. And everyone's like, oh, it's so cute, it's so sweet. Um, But you know everybody's kind of like looking at you like, oh, here's the bull in a china shop coming you know, coming through the group right now. Um, He wasn't the kid who would sit in circle time right away, but he was the first kid who knew all of his shapes, and he was the first kid who could read and all of that fun stuff. Um, At the end of the day, it doesn't matter your first and what you can do first and what you can't do first, uh, because the social skills that are needed are just as important as those all-important reading and math skills. Um, so it was. It okay, was so not your always first, easy. Your first memory of those eyes and that and that sense of different. So I think different is okay. I don't want anybody to to not understand what I'm saying. I think different is important. I embrace different. We are different. That being said, when you walk into a room and everybody is the same and you are different. It's, it's sometimes hard. And I, I was the best at making excuses and they're not necessarily excuses, but I was the best at saying, you understood him. He's, he's an individual and being an individual is important and he will grow at his own pace. 
But at the end of the day, you go home and you're in a room by yourself and you're going, what did I do wrong? Did I eat the wrong thing? Did I drink too much Diet Coke? Did I, whatever it is, what did I do wrong? Why is my kid not fitting in the box? Thank you. That's big and it's huge. And I think it is at the heart of the struggle. Um, because before you can support them and guide them and cheer them on and celebrate it, you have to come to terms with, um, is everything okay here? Is, is this the way it's supposed to be for us? I have a million more questions, but Alexis, you have the youngest at the table. That is true. Um, so my daughter, I, I can't say that she's 100% different, but there are things that she does that I go, well, that's not normal. Um, I will never forget. It was the first day of mommy and me. We were, she was two and a half, uh, two and a half months. And I remember sitting there and it was the end of class. She woke up early that morning. So she was already tired. And I'm looking around the class and all the moms are saying they're comforting their child, pacifier in the mouth. What's my kid doing? Screaming her head off you know, arms backwards everywhere because she didn't want to be comforted. She just wanted to sit there. She just went. And I, from watching TV shows and watching my mom and other moms, I'm like, oh, you know, you're supposed to like hold your child. You're supposed to balance them. It's supposed to. Yeah. I was, I was an infant room teacher. I should, I know how to do this. She was never like that. You can't hold her. You can't cuddle with her. I'm lucky I get cuddles, but I'm mom. There are people out there like grandmas, my husband, every don't get cuddles. She wants to see the world. She, she's fierce. She's independent. She's very, she has a bold personality. Bold. And when she comes into a room, she knows what she wants and she will sit there and fuss until she gets it. Now, coming from two parents who are not the typical mold, I grew up very much out of the box. I mean, I, I sat there in my SATs and I refused to take it because I didn't want to be judged by a test, so I slept. <laughs> Um, Sorry. I, I got the 200 points for putting my name on there, and I wrote a whole essay and got a scholarship for it. Um, my husband would walk into a classroom and go, how much is homework? Teacher would go 20%. He goes, well, I guess I'm starting with an 80 because he refused to do homework. Okay. So we are two parents that are out of the box. So we don't do things that are normal in our house. Like, it's just, it's... We're not normal people, and that's okay. Um, okay so what is normal, Karen? Exactly. I, like, I, you know, as a teacher, as an early childhood educator, what is normal? We say this word, and I'm guilty of it also, but normal is not normal anymore. And so we put, our, we put these labels right. on ourselves, and, and where were you when my kids were in Mommy and Me? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you say what is gotcha. normal... Um, I work in a psychiatrist office, and a friend of mine brought her son in because she said, I don't know, he's just, he's just so different from everybody else, and he's so, and she was really, really upset. And um, turns out why he was so different was because he was so different from her. Right. And she didn't know what to make of this kid who, she said, he doesn't want to go out on Saturday nights. He doesn't have friends. He doesn't, th-. and I said, you haven't said anything like psychiatrically wrong yet and she and he well now he's a rock star up at Columbia and it all you know and she said to me I'm so embarrassed that I came to a psychiatrist because I thought there was something wrong with him and another example of that same thing was a friend of mine was told she was having a boy and the baby came out female and the dad picked the child up and panicked and said what's wrong with him <laughs> and the obstetrician said nothing it's a horror. <laughs> and I thought, isn't that funny? You, you expect 
And when you don't get what you're expecting, you think something's wrong. And it's so crazy. So, Janet, you came because when we posted on Facebook, um, you wrote up some, you wrote a, a comment based on something that you put on one of your daughter's mirrors. Yeah, I had, I have two girls and a boy. Right now they're 25, 26, and 27, and I was talking to them on the way here. We were laughing about, you know, what we'd been through, but the first and the third were, aye, aye, Captain, just tell me how to do it, and the middle one was, says who? And, of course, now she's the one with a big big life out in L.A., and though, and people told me when she was little, the other two will always get along with people. She's going to change the world. And I said, if she doesn't kill me, she will change the world. <laughs> and she is. Um, and it's just, I, I'm so struck now, been thinking about this this week, at how intense and heavy and long childhood seems at the time. And it's just such a blip. It's just such a, it's such a, I mean, now is almost like, okay, that was the warm up. Now they're in the game of life. That was just getting your equipment together. Um, so and you, were, you were happy to support her. You wanted to say, why try to be the same when, when you have your own place, your own gifts, your own everything to bring right. to the world? Why try well, to fit in when you were so born to stand out? Okay. And how I wrote long, that on her back. How long did it take you to get to that moment? Oh... Well, I remember her being three. I yep. remember her sitting in that bedroom window looking down outside at the family. Yep, she didn't want to swim in the pool with us one day. And she said, I'm tired of swimming. Can I go to my room and read? And I said, sure. Who would say no to a child who wants to read? And my husband said, where's she going? And I said, she wants to go to her room and read. And he said, no. Tell her this is a family activity and you have to stay with us right now because when you're not here, there's a hole and we need you here. And I said, why? Why can't she just go read? And he said... He's a psychiatrist, and he said, she'll grow up. These are the kids that grow up, and they remember laying in their bed when they were three and hearing their family in the pool laughing and having fun, and they're in bed going, I'm different from them. I'm, a, I'm up here, and they're down there. And he said, she can read later, right now. And, and I saw his point, and I saw her point. But, but it's that tightrope that you're walking. It's back to Lane's question of what's normal, mm -hmm. and you don't know. Mm -hmm. You don't know when you're living it. What will be the consequences of this decision? What, if I, you know, ha, you have no idea. You're walking this uncertainty that says, what's the best thing I can be doing for my child? Mm -hmm. And you don't know. I, I, I mean, I think it's, I think at the end of the day, it's all a guessing game. And, mm -hmm. and I was that mom who, who was very hesitant to do any interventions. In the end, I'll share with everybody. In the end, my son has severe ADHD. Um, and he also has something called a nonverbal learning disability, which in the end means he doesn't read visual cues. He doesn't see when you're tired of playing with him, even still, and he's 11 now. He doesn't, uh, he just doesn't get the facial cues, the little social innuendos that, that you kind of expect people to get. He has to learn. And he's 11, and you would meet him, and you'd be like, oh, my gosh, your kid is 100% is fine. We have done That's a right. lot. We've done a lot of work. But when we were young, and we were in the preschool environment, and everybody said, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do that, I was like, no, he just needs to be him, and he just needs to, you know, grow and develop. I was, you know, that free spirit and, you know, that, that hippie chick that just didn't feel like we needed to condition everything. And I still don't. 
think we need to condition everything out of children. That being said, there are things I wish I did for him when he was younger. For example? Um, I, I wish I would have done OT with him at a much earlier age. We didn't start until he was in pre-K. And there are things socially that I think it would have helped him with. It wouldn't have changed who he was, which is in my brain what I thought. But I think it would have helped him engage and learn to engage sooner. I'm not saying he's got to be best friends with everybody. And he knows his place. He is at a school with other dorky Jewish boys. And he is in his element. And he has friends. And I just think it would have given him skills that would have helped him sooner. We had a conversation, you and I, about something else before we turned on the mic. Mm. And, and it had to do with labels on all of us in any situation. And so is, is some of that that if you go for OT at two, at three, at four, then you think it's going to be this predictive label that will limit your child? Was that any of it? No, it wasn't that. It was... It was I, I'm so afraid, you know, we, we are so quick to spot a child, and as an early educator, as a two-year-old preschool teacher, spot a child and go, mm, something's not okay, you know, maybe they need OT, maybe, and it's not even about the label, it's, I always, at this point in my life, when Noah was younger, I always looked at it as we were, we were trying to take away his individuality, right. what made him an individual, and of course, now your children are a little older, so you have the, the opportunity to look at it differently and see it from a different light. And I don't think that I hurt him. I don't think that he's any worse for the wear. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't go, why, you know, I, I'm not constantly questioning why I didn't. But it goes back to what you were saying before. As a parent, how do you know you're making the right decision? How do you know you're not making the right decision? And, and you just don't. You just don't know. You. So I, I grew up different. And I remember sitting there in high school. My brother has ADHD, and my mom was very much against, like, any of the medications growing up. So when it came to me, she was like, well, you're not like your brother. So um, we're seven years apart, and I remember sitting there in high school, and I didn't, I didn't get it. Like, I would study my, my heart out, and I couldn't pass tests. So I was like, oh, I must have ADD. Like, I must have something wrong with me. So I remember sitting through the whole entire test, and I remember at the end, they're like, you're fine. I'm like, but there's something wrong. Like, Mm -hmm. I was in band. I couldn't read the music, but I could play it. If somebody, like, would do it for me, I could pick up on the keys. And um, I just, it didn't click with me. And go figure, I grew up and become a, a elementary school teacher. And then, like, behind the scenes, I'm like, well, teachers didn't get either. Um, <laughs> so as a parent to a child who I, I watch go into a classroom and all the kids are playing with, you know, dramatic play stuff or, like, uh, the blocks. And I see her sitting in the corner and she's stacking the lids that are inside the classroom. And she's by herself. And she, I'm like, she just needs time to figure it out. Once she figures it out, she'll go off on her merry way and go play with other kids. But I guess that's the early childhood teacher in me that gets that she needs to do it her way and then everything else will make sense in the world. See, like, my dream is what if, like, when you're describing Noah and and not reading visual cues, I'm like, but, so there is a sense where he can get support and help and interventions. 
But in all of these cases, if we're looking at multiple intelligences, if we're looking at this, all these ways of understanding, observing, interacting, and creating opportunities for children, it's like I think if we, if we would feel that power to really individualize and look for what the strengths are and look for how to use those strengths to help compensate for the things that aren't clicking intuitively, naturally, automatically, and there's a way to do that without over-professionalizing, especially through early childhood. Now, that's not to say we don't want professional support, but I also want parents to feel very, very powerful and competent and masterful in supporting their children and knowing their children really, really well. And and you know there's that point where it's, where, where it's just getting those new eyes to say, okay, so she's had all this time. Does she need something else? I don't know. Let me mm-hmm. check. Let me see if now's a chance to bring in a new friend. And if she dismisses it and say, well, because if we force it, she's going to resist. It's going to escalate. We're going to have behavior issues. I, Karen, I remember you did a potty training class at my house. And my son was not potty trained until three years and five months. And I had three children in diapers all at the same time. And, and I remember going, but Karen, he's so intelligent. Why can't he get this? And I, I remember I remember you saying, it's just not there for him yet. And it's just not, he's just not there. And it's not that he doesn't have the ability and it's not that he can't. And it wasn't about any of those. It just was that his personality wasn't there for it. And that's the hardest part is how do we honor and celebrate and, but I, this, is the, this is the struggle, I think, well, there's two struggles. The first struggle is the, how do I, as the teacher, the parent, the, the grown-up facilitating learning and growth and independence and mastery, how do I connect the dots? Mm-hmm. My job as a, as a grown-up among any children is to say, okay, here's where your dots are. Here's the exciting parts of the world where you may want to go on your own or what I want to show to you because I want to share something in my world with you. Then the dots start getting connected. And with pottying, it's this, you know, it is a jigsaw puzzle and pottying is just a very concrete example of a complex skill that they're learning every other day. Well, it's funny. I remember... So my daughter rolled over and crawled within the same week. She was four and a half months. And everybody was like, that's so young, that's so young. So naturally, you would think that she would walk early. Nope, at 11 months, that's when she decided to walk. And I remember coming to class, and I, I had showed you the video of her walking around Lucky's Market with the little shopping cart. And I remember you telling me, well, if she's that good at walking with the shopping cart, she probably can walk. So I went home, and after that, I said, all the walkers away. I was like, you're going to learn how to walk. I let you do it for so long. For you're so long, at 11, 11 months. months. I was thinking, gosh, <laughs> my kids didn't walk until I was pregnant with Sophia. Noah was 16 months old before he took his first step. And then I think Sophia could walk at 12 months, but decided that she just because this is how our family rolls, decided she just didn't want to. And, and that I was have, my daughter. And I <laughs> have Ari. She's going to do it when she wants to. Yes. Yeah, it was yeah. when she and even wants at, to. Even at six months, at 11 months, she knows if the world has an expectation for her. Mm-hmm. And yes. that's the shocking part because that's like a, what? So You're mm, waiting right, for this? Right. Go and ahead you know, and wait. What you were right. talking about motherhood being so empowering, it's an interesting thing when professionals, teachers school administrators call you in to tell you there's something wrong here Mm -hmm. and you go no there isn't 
Well, now that's the second piece of my puzzle. And that is, first you have this challenge of supporting and, and guiding your child. And those are a whole set of questions. But then the second is, how do you respond to the world? How do you respond right. to those, mm, those mothers in a mommy and me class that are wanting to feel very validated in who they are? And you see the judgments. And then the but professionals. But when it's a professional, someone who has okay, been educated so in this been and, through you're it. and they call you in and say, there's a problem here. Where'd and you we, find your strength? I just, I said, thank you so much. I really appreciate you caring about her so much to call us in and tell us this. Um, as Karen Deerwister said to me a long time ago, is it a problem for you? Then it's not a problem if it's not a problem for you. And the, the very first time we were called in, it was so ridiculous, I thought, um, they said, we, your, daughter, your daughter has socializing problems. And I said, okay, like what? Second grade this was. And they said, well, um, she never plays with the girls on the playground. And I said, hmm. Did well, she only play with boys? Yeah. And okay. I said, well, what is everybody doing? That's, that, that's not social. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, well, she's always with the boys. She doesn't play with the girls. And I said, well, what are the boys doing? What are the girls doing? Well, the boys are always playing soccer. And the girls have a little thing called the grass club. And they sit in a circle under the tree. And I said, oh boy. okay, <laughs> enough said. <laughs> I think we're done here. We're good with that. We would rather she play soccer than sit in the grass club. So, Janet, I've known you for... Long time. Long time. And you have had this skill and ability from being a first-time mom, no doubt in my mind, that somehow you may, you always approach these situations ready to make your own evaluation. You listened, tell me what you see, let me, and then I will respond in with the best that I can put together here. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? How did you find that strength and confidence? And let me say, you had never been, a, it was never a problem for you to be different. As a, right. as a matter of fact, you knew as a parent you would be different. Yes, and received a lot of pushback from many parents who were, you know, would criticize any rules we had in my house. And I used to say, why do you, I'm, I'm so fascinated. I don't care what you're doing in your house. Why are you so interested in what I'm doing? We kind of held firm on the PG-13 movies thing. Um, we said, you know, PG-13 means inappropriate if you're under 13, so we're going to go with that. And maybe sometimes the label's in, a little severe, but we're just going to go with that rather than reinventing the wheel for every movie. Um, I said to my kids, when there's a PG-13 movie you want to see, make a list. When you turn 13, we're going to go to a hotel room for the weekend, just the two of us. <laughs> we went to Blockbuster. We went down the list, and we got Titanic, and we got Austin Powers, and all the movies they've been denied Went to the Marriott on the beach for the weekend, got junk food, sat in bed playing, and every, every movie that went in, they'd say, this is dumb. Okay, <laughs> next movie. And, and they all said, oh, we cherish that memory of being alone with mom in a hotel room for the weekend watching PG-13 movies on our 13th birthday. Yeah. But people would say to me, oh, you're so rigid. And I said, it's just kind of what I want to do. Um, and I never understood why. And then I thought later, Maybe you're making, maybe I'm making you question what you're doing, and you don't want to fight the fight because they'd say, "I'm not going to fight with my kid. I'm just going to let." It, and I'd say, "Okay, I'm willing to fight. It's not fun." We are really strict in regards to technology, and and it's definitely a losing battle. I am definitely on the losing end of that battle. I I feel it. I see it. This summer has like decimated our strictness on on uh, 
technology. I'm very thankful that my kids go to sleepaway camp for four weeks and they are not allowed to use a phone. They do not watch TV. They, they have very limited access. That being said, during the school year, I'm one of those parents that my kids don't really know what's on TV. They know they're like their cartoon network shows because they watch them on YouTube or Netflix, but they're not necessarily aware of the popular shows because they don't watch TV during the week. They're, they're just limited. We don't have enough time. I, I don't want them waking up and starting the day watching TV. And I don't really, we watch Jeopardy at night together. That is, that's what we do together as a family because I don't want them watching something overly stimulating before they go to sleep. We didn't have TV at all. And our kids somehow it contributed to them staying age appropriate. Um, when they were 12 years old, they weren't dressing like Britney Spears because they didn't know who she was. And some of my friends said, well, don't you think you're kind of sending them to school unarmed because they, they don't know the cultural? And I said, they'll live. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about not being popular, um, if that's an issue. Uh, so this is funny. Not funny, but uh, you were saying something about your daughter at three wanting to go upstairs and sit in her room and read. So... For years, Sophia, because we are just a family that's out of the box, so it doesn't just apply to one of us, Sophia likes to sit on the playground and read. And I, I would say it really started in second grade. And, you know, as a mom, you're like, why is my daughter not playing with all the other kids? The girls are here. The girls are there. The boys are here. The boys are there. I don't know. The girls were chasing the boys in second grade, and Sophia wanted nothing to do with it. Fine, we get through second grade. She had the most amazing third grade experience. I loved her third grade teacher. She built a community in her classroom. My daughter still sat on the bench and read every afternoon. Fourth grade comes along. My kids are, don't have phones until middle school. That's, that's become our rule. So Noah has a phone. So fourth grade, Sophia is still sitting on the bench reading during recess. And now I'm like, well, she doesn't have a phone. Am I keeping her from being involved in what's going on in the school? So I said something to her third grade teacher, who's no longer her in fourth grade. She's not her teacher anymore. And she's like, Lane, your daughter loves to read. She doesn't want to get involved in the drama. She likes separating herself. She's like, she's going to grow up, she's going to go to college, she's going to smoke pot, she's going to dance to the Grateful Dead, and she's going to be happy. And I looked at her and I said, oh, you're right. And I, like, walked away. I just needed to be reminded that it's okay that your child is sitting on the bench reading and not in the middle of it. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes when you're looking around at everybody else, you just need to be reminded that I'm it's coming okay. Coming to Alexis next to talk about that, how mm. it reflects on you, you as a parent and as a first-time new mom, those emotions, feelings, questions, doubts, if any. But my other question is this idea of does that person show up when you need them to? Is there always that right person that, that will be there and give you the validation when you need it? Or do you have to seek the... I mean, there's... Like, it, it took a few years for that person to go, okay, now just breathe, you're fine with this lane. That's a hard... I feel personally like I have had guides throughout my... 
throughout my life, forget about just my role as a mom, I feel like there are people, and I can I, I can recall them, and they may not even be in my life anymore, but there have been people throughout my life that have been there that I have thought of as guides, and they were placed in that moment at that time for a specific reason. And both of, at least the two of you that I know have husbands that are there to talk things mm-hmm. out with, mm-hmm. to bounce things around with, and to even if you disagree, to, to be a, a united team. You remind me of something that this, I don't know, if, if it's just an interesting thing. It's not really a point I'm making, but my my other two children were just not outside the box. They were, I mean, they were exceptional. Of course, I'm their mother, but they weren't, <laughs> they did they did what was expected. And this, uh, I was always intrigued. And the one, I had one who was super, super popular. And if there's one thing I've taken away from this, it's like, you don't want to have that kid. That is the hardest child to have. I'll take a kid that wants a book a hundred times over a ninth grader that the seniors are trying to get to a party. or It's awful. And then a lot of times that kid peaks in high school. And those are their glory days. And they want to be back. So you don't want to have that kid. As fun as it is at the time to be, oh my gosh, you're so-and-so's mom? Yeah, yeah. That becomes the greatest section of their life. And peaking in high school is a real curse. I'm not saying that that's going to happen to him, but I speak to that. But I remember my one that outside the box, middle one, People would say, now whose daughter is you? And, and I would say, and I would either get a, oh, she's awesome. She's so awesome. Or I'd get, hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I know who she is. And but as a mother, is, that was is, very shocking. This you is mean, the second layer to like this, my kid? which is your, your, you are, your children are a reflection of you somehow. And adults and didn't like her. Imagine. 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 <laughs> like, really, I mean. Yeah. Who wouldn't like a child? So it's Alexis. funny thinking about it and, like, hearing both of your stories. And it, it makes me reflect on myself. Like, I wasn't the popular one. I somehow made it to varsity cheerleading my senior year. And I remember sitting there in basketball season. And I was like, well, I'm done. I, I can't be peppy anymore. I can't I can't do this. Like, I'm out. I'm sorry. I remember. I'm so looking forward to getting to know you more in the next year. I remember trying to join a sorority at 23 and looking at all these 20-year-olds, and I'm like, nope, can't do it anymore. Like, I made it to two houses. They both wanted me. I was like, this is exactly what I want. I want to be part of the Greek system. And then I was like, all right, so I made it the the Honor Society of Education. That, that gets me into the Greek Society. I'm good. Like, I walked out of Rush Week, and I always was one that would have friends that were older. Like, I, my husband's six years older than me. My best friend's ten years older than me. Like, I always just had this old soul, people would call it. And I just never blended in. And even people nowadays that I meet that are close to my age, I can't relate to them. I, I just, I can't, I'm not, I can't be that happy-go-lucky girl that's like a valley girl, they call it, or whatever. I'm just, I'm just me. And, like, some people don't get it. Some people don't understand why I hate shopping. I, I have a love-hate relationship with it. But, like, girls my age love it. And um, I look at my daughter, and it makes me think. And I call my mom all the time now, and I'm like, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry I put you through hell. <laughs> my husband gets it. Um, I'll never forget, like, I was running late for work one day, and he comes in, and he just hands me a cup of coffee. I'm like, you get it. You just, you <laughs> understand. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> It's yeah, like, he just, he he gets it. And, like, when I want to redecorate the house at 11 o'clock at night, he just gets it. Um, but I'm that's so glad. <laughs> <laughs> he I'm does. So he glad. goes, so I'm going to Walmart again. I'm like, I, 
<laughs> yeah, I kind of need it now. <laughs> you were nesting, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, if I've been nesting, then I've been nesting for at least 28 years now. <laughs> my mom would Love catch it. me and, like, bring back to my childhood. And I'm waiting for it to come back to me with with Sophia. Um, my You have a Sophia? <laughs> my daughter's Sophia. Um, yes, I do have a Sophia. Um, I will never forget... <laughs> My mom came into my bedroom, and I was, like, four. And, like, I remember sitting inside the room, and it was completely dark. And I had all my toys on the floor. Now, typically, you would think that you walk into a four-year-old's room, and they're playing. I was alphabetizing my books. (laughs) And my mom just looked at me. She was like, okay. And she walks out. (laughs) And I remember going, I'm sorry. And that that would be me. I would reorganize. I would alphabetize. I would wait until... My friends fall asleep in high school and organize their room because that was me. And I'm I'm waiting for it. (laughs) Because we kind of hinted at that a second ago. And I think that's the one thing I want to say out loud is when you're walking that tightrope, the place not to go or the place to watch for the red flag is that when your child is getting that mirror back and 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 your child is saying, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. is there something wrong with me? Did I do something wrong? And when you know that they can't help it, that's the spot where you have to stop and go, you know what, we're still trying to connect these dots. We'll figure it out together. I don't get you, but I get that that's you. But that's right? the hardest part as a parent, especially my, my child. And for that matter, all, my, all three of my children sure. are sure. impulsive children. It's, it's just kind of who they are. We're an impulsive family. Having a conversation is a challenge because everybody's talking over each other. But my kids are always saying they're sorry, especially Noah, because he's getting in trouble for being impulsive and he has no control over that impulsivity. So I think in that case, somehow the shift goes to, yeah, it's harder for you than for other kids. You know what? And I'm and, and I'm here to try to help if I can. Your teacher, it's not yours to fix. It's not yours to change. But you're that person that has their back. It's that person that you can come that you can come to and say, I tried, but it didn't go well. And it's almost like today. It's like you know what? You decide, you act, and if you have to keep revising, you keep revising. And it's and and somehow to bring that stem or that problem solving or that emotional flexibility and resilience, that has to be maybe a part of our mission. We have to do our wrap up. So it's quick. But whether it's the advocating for your children, whether it's the emotional support, and maybe it's a whole mix. You're juggling a lot of different balls here. And it's also the reflection on your parenting because your emotions, your doubts, all of this mirror back to you makes this really complicated. So I think it's a powerful, powerful topic. I thank you very much for choosing it. Um, But the wrap up is how have you got this? And whether it's for your child, whether it's for yourself, whether it's that myth or misconception out there in the world, tell me what you know today about raising a child who's different. I think I mentioned this to you earlier. We were talking privately. My questions have more answers. Sorry, my questions have more questions. And so that's how I've got it. I just keep asking more questions. I can't say that I have the answers I, I maybe did things right, maybe I didn't, and that's okay, but I just keep asking more questions. Is there a piece to the questions, or is there a, 
an inner peace or? Yeah, are you comfortable asking, knowing that it's just about asking more questions? Some days, yes, and some days, no. I would lie, be lying to you if I said that, that, that it, would, it was okay all the time. And it's just because, so my wish, my parting wish will be that, that the questions become the new normal. That the questions become, yeah, I don't, I can't have these answers. I haven't lived this. This child hasn't lived this before. And the world doesn't know either. And they can't know. Because it's our questions to ask. Alexis. So when I look at Sophia, um, and I see her struggle with things, or I see her being different, I, I take myself back to, like, how I felt, and, um... I just sit there and I go, okay, she's only been on this earth for a year. She's only been here for a year. I've been here 28 years. Like, I've kind of got things figured out. But it took me a long journey. And, like, I hope, and I, I, I every day I tell myself, like, I, I try and gently guide her through everything. Like, she, she doesn't want to cuddle today? Fine, we won't cuddle today. She doesn't want to do this? Fine, we won't do it. You don't want to wear shoes? Fine, you don't want to wear shoes. Like, when you decide that you want to wear those, by all means, wear them. But... There, um, it takes a really big reflection into yourself and into like your parenting skills, and it, you do have to put on a guard, and you do have to constantly um, say it's okay that she, you know, yeah. doesn't want to do what every other child at her age is doing. Yeah, thank you, because you have to take really good care of yourselves if you have a child that's different. Mm-hmm. Janet, um, have you got this? I, I. Th- uh, a, a really great guidance counselor in middle school, um, I went to him one time and said, could you do me a favor? Could you just kind of watch her for a week and then give me your synopsis? Tell me why she has trouble when nobody else seems to be having trouble. And t- could you just give me a little bit of that? And he called me in at the end of the week and said, I got it all figured out. <laughs> and I said, great, what is it? He said, she knows who she is. She knows what she wants. Therefore, she doesn't fit in with other 12- and 13-year-olds because they don't have a clue. He said, I'm sorry that your daughter's going to have a rough time in school, but she's going to be a kick-ass woman. Mm-hmm. And I said, I can wait. I can wait. I can, you know, and, and he was correct, and it's turned out like that. And to have that faith and that trust in them will get you through, I hope. Mm-hmm. Love you guys. Thank you so very, very much. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow. Listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey. Loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules. You write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Oh, 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 wait. We're growing too. So if you had a great time today, please spread the word to a friend. You can also join our conversation on Facebook. That's with Karen Deerwester. And there's great parenting resources for you at www.familytimeinc.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this lovely space. Thank you, David Dweck, for that sweet voiceover. And thanks to the front and the follow for the song listen. We are listening. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.